You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. CFOs and controllers, there's a better way to manage cards, expenses, travel, and reimbursements. You need a unified spend platform from Brex that lets you control all your spend in one place, automate compliance, and close the books faster. Get started at Brex.com. Today's episode continues a month-long series of bettering ourselves and bettering our careers, with a continuation of Part 1's look at voiceover work and acting behind the mic. You will hear from a group of actors, directors, and producers applying voiceover and acting techniques into their radio play podcast called Stand By for Places. They'll give us a bird's-eye view as well as hands-on experience of the art and craft of producing audio dramas, which can give us actors new ways to both exercise and express our creativity. I'm always surprised and impressed by actors who come in and have never done anything like this before and are able to edit their own work to create it into something else that can exist in this space. Hello and welcome to Why I'll Never Make It or Win Me for Short, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for almost 30 years. Each week, you'll learn from fellow actors and creatives as we explore the challenges of trying to make it in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There, you can sign up for the monthly newsletter, support and donate to this podcast, as well as get info on other artist resources. Learn about all that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com or click on the link in the show notes. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As the pandemic was shutting down most opportunities for us actors, one group of artists found a way to keep acting and producing throughout the pandemic. Standby for Places was co-created by Frida Matea, Margie Zarcone, and Graydon Gund. They then brought in Dunya Karam and others to make it a full audio drama production team. And I'll be talking with three of them today. Hi, my name is Margie Zarcone, and I am a co-creator of Standby for Places, a radio story podcast, and I also serve as head of social media, and I'm an actor. I'm Graydon Gund, and along with Margie and our friend 
Frida Matea. I'm another one of the co-creators and also one of the directors and one of our resident sound designers for both my piece and sometimes other people's. And I handle ads as well. And I'm a director and sound designer and dramaturg in the real world. I'm Dunya Karam. I was brought in a little later in the game, but I am a board member with Standby for Places and a director. I also am a coordinator for New Works. Outside of the podcast, I direct and produce as well as bartend for that money. And <laughs> that's where I'm at. And that's how it is for most actors and creatives, needing to balance the work that can fulfill us artistically with the work that can also fill our bank accounts. And one of the nice things about Standby for Places is that it is solely an audio format, which actually requires a little less time and commitment from us actors. Therefore, it doesn't take away from other auditions or work opportunities. So this could be a new and fun way to further your skills as an actor and grow your creative network. Or maybe you want to produce and create your own venue for new works and classic pieces of theater. Well, then, there's certainly a lot to learn from these three creatives as they talk about what's needed from voice actors, how to work and collaborate with playwrights, and, as Margie explains, how sometimes the most challenging circumstances can lead to new opportunities. Basically, the conversation started between myself and fellow co-creator Frida Matea as just kind of an airing of grievances. We both felt really displaced and upset. I mean, our vocation, our calling had just been, it just came to a screeching halt. And we were talking about old time radio plays. And then the conversation kind of diverted into voice acting and how voice acting is always something that is on like the backlog to-do list of every actor and artist of, oh, you know, at some point I'll make a voice reel and maybe I'll submit for voiceover work. And we got talking about it and we were like, this will be a valuable time to do that. But you can't really convincingly create a voice reel by just sitting and recording on your own. It would be nice if it came from a production. So we got talking and we thought, well, why don't we take public domain plays and adapt them and turn them into radio plays And that way, ourselves, our friends, we can all be creatively stimulated and be a part of something while also producing this voiceover work that then we can save and have in a voice reel and use for trying to find other work. So it, it all kind of snowballed off of that. So, Graydon, what took that idea and actually brought it into reality? Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm full of ideas, too. But what was the catalyst for actually making it happen? Soon after Frida and Margie had that conversation, I think it was mid-June, Frida gave me a call because she knew I had done some sound work for live plays and I was doing nothing just like them. So we sort of just started with our first episodes, which were Importance of Being Earnest, and talked about who could be in this show. And then if they were a smaller part. It was sort of conceived that it would also be with our second production that I directed, which was Buechner's Wojciech. I imagine that it's a much different production trying to put together these audio dramas. Because back in radio play days, they would all gather in the same studio, sometimes around the same two or three mics, and then mm -hmm. they would do it. But now we're also scattered and we're using different technologies in different places. But something great about the fact that people don't have to be around 
one mic in one space is that we've had a lot of people from a little further afield. So people that have either relocated for the time being or live in California or wherever they are can be a part of it. And I'm sure for you, Dunya, as far as directing these audio dramas, having, you know, a wealth of actors to choose from has been great. But then what is that directing like for an audio drama as opposed to a stage production? It's been interesting because I have several emails with different time zones for different people just to make sure that everyone is on the same page and able to show up on time. But the great thing that I continue to bring up in regards to theater is that it's enigmatic in in a sense that there's a relationship between the players and the audience. And so you're able to feed off of that live energy. And I think that that's also true in the process of it. You can feel off of another actor and take their, not just their lead vocally, but energetically and so forth, physically. However, especially working with the new works, it really forces people to sit down and listen to each other in a way that is very intimate and can create a different kind of energy. One of the pieces that I had worked on was called Court of Khan, uh, written by Edward Precht. And one of our actors is from Canada. And it was just really interesting to kind of check in on a social level as well as on an artistic level, creating a piece. It gives value on the words a lot more. To piggyback off of what Junya and Grady said, in terms of the learning curve, it's become kind of a playground in a way for all of us because we we all started really from the, no one knew anything about a podcast. We didn't know anything about voice acting. We all kind of are growing together and bringing in different artists who, who also want to play. And some people have participated in a, an audio medium before, but most of the time it it hasn't been, and this has been the first time adapting their play to this type of setting. Another kind of fascinating learning thing is figuring out what I guess people who work in film are much more used to, but this idea of kind of directing in the edit, taking out spaces or giving something a little more air that you can't do when you direct a play. Oh, yeah. Particularly with comedy, because uh, Mm. I I typically direct a lot of uh, comedy and it's all about timing. And so when there is a sight gag that's missing, it's all based off of the tempo and the energy that the person is giving in the recording. And sometimes they hit that line. Great. The first take. And then the second take, it's received really well or it's a little more on time but the give isn't necessarily there. So you get to like manipulate it so that it also is a, uh, the best representation of the actors as well as what you're trying to communicate to them. Yeah. Speaking of comedy, it's one of those things that it really needs. The audience is, is in on it. They, they're, they're laughing, they're, they're going with it. And so how do you pull out comedy when some of it is either a sight gag, there's a physical element to the comedy or there's not that audience feedback that then plays into the comedic scene. A lot of it has been through soundscapes. 
certain sight gags you you won't be able to necessarily have. I think there was only twice that I had to cut something out or had to have a conversation with the playwright on adjusting it. So that was a little more verbal. But how sound plays in storytelling when you only rely on sound, you can indicate someone slipping and falling through sound without necessarily seeing it. And then on top of that, adding instrumentals or music to help guide the audience member or the listener into like what kind of tone this type of physical act is. So databases like, for instance, Splice, that's the one that I typically like to use of just everyday sounds, unless we're trying to foil something very specific, has been instrumental in trying to convey um, certain visuals inspired by audio to help the uh, listener's imagination stimulated in that way because our soundscapes are so intricate that it's nice to lean into that and then people are surprised just how far their imagination can go yeah and in listening to some of your episodes it's it's interesting how the soundscape is really different from episode to episode it's not like there's one vibe or through line of all your episodes, you really make them distinct depending on the production itself. From an actor's standpoint as well, some of the vocal directions, there have been moments that I've directed and been directed, for example, to chase something vocally versus the actual act of chasing after someone. And you think it could sound a little corny, but then you listen to it with the soundscape and with the pauses and with whatever atmospheric things are added in. And it makes complete sense, even though in the moment it's like, oh, this sounds a little, do I sound weird? Does it sound forced? <laughs> but it's almost like hearing a storybook in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that whole like acting under imaginary circumstances, right? That, that's what we're all trying to do. And this is one of the most imaginary. It's just in our ears. There's no sight to it. And great. And that gets to a lot of what you have to do, putting together these sounds and your work as sound design. Do, do these sounds generally come in before the production or is it after the actors have done their work, then you add on to what they've done? Older plays all go through and do a pass where it's like, oh, I think you need to say his name when he comes in so we know who he is. Or you need to say like, oh, thank you for the drink, whatever. So we know some things. And then if it's a new play talking to the playwright to see if we can adjust some of those things, which has led to some really cool things where the playwright kind of, and my last piece, Lorana, that Margie was in, there was this big stage direction and the playwright kind of ran with it and turned that into a monologue, which became one of my favorite parts of the play. But to what you're saying, the comedy bit that also, I do a lot of dark stuff and that also really applies to violence. If they take two steps and then we hear a hit and we hear a fall. And then it's a lot of going back to people and being like, you know, I know I, said we didn't need this but can i just get like a couple grunts from you <laughs> to fill this out a little bit so it seems like something's happening in between all of these steps and slaps and other things that are happening and i imagine that that's one of the challenges especially for the listener then to keep track of who's running who's being hit you know who who just fell and and you know having a comedic moment i assume that that is one of 
one of the most important parts as far as the audio portion of it is making sure that it's clear to the listener who is doing what and what's happening in the scene visually. Yeah, which we do talk when we rehearse about you know, the direction of it all, the like motivation behind why you're doing this. So we really hear the working up to some kind of explosion in your voice. And how are you reacting based on what your role was in that particular situation? And Margie, you had mentioned that it's almost like all of you are growing together. And what has been surprising to you, both in a difficult way, but in also a, a joyous way, what are some ways that have really surprised you? Oh, so many different things. I am always surprised and impressed by actors and directors and playwrights who come in and have never done anything like this before and are able to edit their own work to create it into something else that can exist in this space. And the same thing with actors. I directed our production of A Christmas Carol and everyone I cast other than one person no one had ever done any voiceover work, hadn't participated in anything like this before. And it was so interesting at the first read-through to hear them all and see them take like notes of, oh no, that didn't, I- I'm used to having my whole body engaged. And then seeing the next rehearsal of these vocal adjustments that they would make in creating voices and then how physical it would become after they found the voice. It's very interesting to see the process of acting come through a different channel. Yeah, I imagine it would also be very different if someone listened to it and then was actually watching the actors and what they did in these Zoom and and, <laughs> and recording sessions about what was actually going on too. I'm sure that it- Absolutely. Some, sometimes it would match up and others would be like, oh, that's how you created that. That's absolutely true. And in spite of it being all over Zoom, there have been times that some real connected rehearsals have taken place where it it does feel like the other person is in the room with you. I mean, that is one of the great things about acting, and and especially if you get the the right actor, the right chemistry, then even across a screen or in earphones, there can still be that connection and and you can feel that kind of palpable chemistry. And so for you, Dunya, when it comes to the skill set, the, the talents of the different actors, what are you looking for specifically in casting a show that, that may be different from a stage production? Honestly, a lot of it has crossover because I'm always looking for someone who has a playful spirit. I'm always looking for someone who commits to a choice, even if it's not that there are any bad choices, but even it's the, if it's the most incompatible choice, they right just <laughs> go for it 110% and not feeling afraid to feel like a little awkward or weird, you know, leaning into that. But one thing that I is a bit different would be how one manipulates breath and how one manipulates their voice in a sense that can you differentiate between, let's say, your double cast in two characters? Or how do you display certain things that you would be able to see visually through breath? Because I'm a person who likes to work from the outside in, not necessarily playing for emotions. If it comes, it comes. I'm a very action-driven director. So how do you... Uh, translate that through just breath, even in stillness, even in silence. 
there's still an ambiotic quality to it that I like to maintain, especially because it can come off a lot more organic that way and cohesive that way when we do have stillness in sound. It's interesting that you bring up the breath because that's that's so important. Obviously, we need that in order to deliver the lines. But even in the silences, you're saying that that breath is so important. In, in what ways have you been able to use breath even in those quiet moments? Well, to build tension and anticipation, to create awkward moments and express joy. Even with uh, Deeper Alexandria, that was the first piece that I had been able to direct with standby and produce and mix and all of that. So what a learning curve uh, because it was two artificial intelligences talking to each other. Um, fun. It, very fun. But how do you make them personal? How do you make them relatable? Uh, it was written by Emerson FD, who is a fabulous playwright in uh, Colorado. And it was the silences and them trying to figure out how to negotiate and navigate through this conversation. What is it to be human? And the ironic part of it was that they had to rely on their breath because as machines, they still have a fan. It's still some sort of cooling mechanism or life mechanism. And so in that piece specifically, with two inorganic things, we had to make it organic with what? Silence and breath. I'm curious about this piece. Uh, what was it about? It's about two individual computers or artificial intelligences named George and Martha. Uh, <laughs> one of which is trying to train the other to execute a specific task. And humanity comes into question. What does it mean to have a consciousness? How does information and the absorption of information come into play when it comes to consciousness? That sort of thing. Do you know how a train works? It does. There are more steps. Why is it so complicated with us? Always so complicated, always. It is not personal. I hope you can understand at least that much. The documents, George. Yes? A sense of urgency. Close. Why is it so close? There is danger. Am I the danger? I cannot know this. Junior, when I heard Deeper Alexandria, I couldn't imagine it being on stage. The only way I could imagine it was hearing it because it was so intimate. And it would surprise me to see it. It would be a, a totally different experience on stage. But it's just a testament to Emerson and to your direction. I thought that that was written for the ears. Well, thank you. I'll relay that to them. <laughs> yeah. Fun. So when it comes to the plays that are chosen, uh, Margie, what goes into that process? Obviously, you have new works that are coming, but then you also have some more traditional older works. What goes into deciding? So at the beginning, it was like, okay, what's an easy thing for us to adapt at the beginning. And we all love Oscar Wilde. So it began with Frida choosing Importance of Being Earnest, and then Grady chose Wojciech. And looking back on it, it, it looks like there's a bit, there's a progression that happened. We yeah. mostly dealt with the classics first, things in the public domain that then we could doctor up into audio plays. And going into Black History Month, 
we were like, okay, we need to get new work in here. We need someone who can work with and, and foster and direct new playwrights, new work. And that's when Dunya came into the picture. But it mainly has been uh, the four of us divvying up, okay, what do we want to work on next? And we like to have a wide variety of different types of plays and stories to listen to. We've kind of hit all genres and we want to continue to do that. Getting to work with friends, people that I've worked with before that I'm excited to work with again, people that I haven't, that I've known in sort of other areas that are writing some of their first plays. That's a really fun thing. And there's a little less stakes in some ways to say, put this up, we'll sit here on the couch and we don't have to build a whole set and rent a theater and do all that. And we can hear it. And then you'll have this file that's accessible. And if you want, you can give that to a theater and say, hey, we did this. This is what it sounds like. And would you be interested in producing a full version of this play? I think it's interesting that you bring up playwrights using this as kind of a a testing ground, a workshop lab environment for their new works. Is that what it's felt like for these writers to have this experience and get a more tangible sense of what direction they're going in? So Emerson's piece was the first piece that I had directed for Standby for Places, and that was uh, back in January. And that's how we were approaching it, because this is eventually a piece that we would like to put in a house and have an audience and really explore what the physical world would look like. But how do you sell a script that on one page, they're talking about tomato sandwiches. And then the next page, they're talking about breaking down. And, you know, it because the script in and of itself can come off very disjointed. So how do we breathe life into it and sell it? So this was like a a vehicle that we wanted to utilize so that we can eventually expand uh, off of this podcast. And then with all of the other uh, playwrights that I've been having the pleasure of working with, some of these pieces are a little too short to be uh, one act or a little too long to be one. So timing-wise, they don't necessarily have to adhere to specific theatrical rules, whether they're explicit or not they're able to exist as they are and be put out in the ether in one way, shape, or form. So that's definitely something that we've been taking advantage of with new playwrights and new work. The digital era, which includes podcasts and audio dramas, has brought about new ways to tell our stories and share them with others. The next couple of episodes, we'll be talking specifically about storytelling, producing, and even musical composition. To stay up to date on upcoming episodes and so much more, subscribe to the free WinMean newsletter. You can sign up at whyillnevermakeit.com or look for the link in the show notes. But of course, not every story or play is right for audio dramas. And Standby for Places knows this all too well. At one point, I looked into doing six characters in search of an author, which I love. And I was in in high school. It's very verbose. Yes. It's a lot of talking. And it's also (laughs) because it's mostly real time. You get these 
13 or so people in the room and then they're just there talking to each other and no one ever really identifies each other or says anything. And I decided it would just get so lost in translation that it wasn't worth it. I don't think we'll be doing a production of Noises Off huh. as an audio play anytime soon. That would be as fun as that would be. There, there's just so, there are, there's just so many visual things that happen, and also going back and forth in quick dialogue. Yeah, there's no way to really keep track of who's speaking. So you really do have to figure out pieces that have a certain pacing that works for just audio, but also I assume. Less characters then too, right? You don't want a 15-person play. It needs to be within the single digits for the most part to work, correct? As far as, at least in, in one scene, you don't want a lot more than that. I have to say the actors that we have worked with, I'm speaking from when I worked on A Christmas Carol, I only had six players working, but there were at least 20 characters. And they were skilled enough and willing enough and playful enough to really create very distinct voices, some of which even in the same scene. So I I agree with you. And then there's also that. <laughs> right, right. There's always yeah. the exception <laughs> to the rule, always. Well, I'm curious in that, were, were these different voices recorded separately or were they actually in the moment changing and going back and forth? In the moment. Wow. Yeah, that's a tough one. It was pretty incredible <laughs> to bear witness to. It really was. I bet. I bet. So that really is part of this playground atmosphere that you all have set up when it comes to standby for places. And it's interesting, too, that people, especially in some of these older plays and Shakespeare and things, you can go a little further outside of what people's type would be in the real world. And I think that's one of the many exciting things that comes with working with us is that we have that flexibility and we can also create, even with things like Shakespeare, especially, you can create a different environment that you might not necessarily get on stage, which is definitely a perk of working with us. (laughs) (laughs) One of many, one of many. Of course. Well, you spoke to, and, and it made me think of Without the visual, then it really can expand, you know, whether it's black, gay, Jewish, white, large, small, like the physical dynamic of whatever person brings is not as relevant as the voice and character that they can portray. However, I would assume that in some instances, those physical traits do matter to a certain character or matter to a certain plot line. How do you bring out those physical aspects in an audio way? I would say a combination of sound effects and actor choices and using your imagination, adding weight to your voice versus adding lightness to your voice. A direction and kind of language that we all started to adopt was breathing in different colors to your voice, breathing in sunshine to your voice versus breathing in stone to your voice and kind of creating that texture that coupled with the incredible sound design, creates a full-fledged, living, breathing, physical character. It's also one of those things that sometimes it's just inherent. Sometimes it's that quality that the actor brings to the table that is just, that is who they are, and that's exactly what we needed in that moment. 
I think that it's very important to not necessarily be colorblinding casting, uh, but being conscious of a person's identity and the authenticity of that identity. Junya, thank you for making yeah. that distinction in terms of racial and gender oh, identity. I mean, both sides are like coloring things in specific as well. When we're talking about age and things like that, sometimes that, people- That's what I was available. talking about. Yeah. Age yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've had guests on before, like Bianca Marroquin or others, actors or actresses of color, that will talk about experiences in the audition room where they've said, "Well, can you sound more Hispanic? Can you sound more Black? Can you say there's there seems to be this inherent with some casting directors that you need to sound or look or feel a certain way, and then you're playing that part." And I would assume that that is something that audio wise. I, I could see that might be a trap you want to fall into because you want to distinguish a character, but at the same time, you're, there's a bit of more freedom when, with the audio in expressing these things. Am I correct? Absolutely, yeah. And honestly, allowing things to really exist as they are instead of exaggerating it unless you're doing something absurdist or intentional in that way, people can look up these actors, we make sure to, and performers, musicians, what have you, we make sure to try and promote them as much as we physically and possibly can. So being kind of tempted by that audio trap is there. The temptation is there uh, because you want to most effectively tell the story. But in reality, people can look up these actors and, and follow them and, and kind of go on this journey with them and be able to appreciate just exactly what they bring to the table as themselves. So, are you interested in learning more about Standby for Places? Would you like to act direct, or even write a show for them? Well, here's Margie once again to tell us more about the company and how we can get involved. We do have a little group of actors who, from the beginning, were with us playing multiple parts in, in the first few pieces who we kind of lovingly call the ensemble. But then we are constantly looking for and trying to bring in new talent, new actors, trying to reach different audiences. Um, New Works has absolutely helped with that, but we are always looking for new work. And we love when people reach out to us, they go right into the casting file that we give to incoming directors and say, here are people that have expressed interest in working. Here are people we've worked with that we think are great. And then of course are open to if the director has someone they'd like to bring in. And so what is the best way for these actors and directors to contact you and if they want to be a part? Please email us. We are info at standbyforplaces.org. We are also on Instagram and Facebook. Please shoot us a message. We love messages. I love answering the messages. (laughs) Well, I guess you have to be. If you're going to be in charge of social media, you better love it. (laughs) Yes, but please, I encourage anyone who wants something they've written to be looked at or anything, please reach out to us. We're very collaborative, nice people. Hopefully you can tell we're nice from our voices. <laughs> it really sounds like a fun environment that you all have created in bringing on creators. So I appreciate you coming on my podcast and talking about your process and the wonderful things that you've been creating. My thanks to all three of you. Thank you for having Thank you. us. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. 
Supporters of Why I'll Never Make It can hear more from Margie, Graydon, and Dunya as they share memorable experiences in the audition room in a bonus episode of Audition Stories. To get access to this and other bonus episodes, please consider making a donation to Why I'll Never Make It. Your support is truly vital and meaningful to keep this podcast going. So go to whyillnevermakeit.com and click the support button in the upper right-hand corner or just look for the link in the show notes. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Incidental music featured in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.